have to thank you for talking over my problems with me last Tuesday night. I love you for it, but can you have lunch tomorrow and talk about the divorce? I'm real bummed out. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And before we get into this week's episode, we have some big news mm-hmm. for our listening our listening community. Here at 200 a Day headquarters, we have finally procured one of those fancy answering recording machines <laughs> that we've all heard so much about recently. So as longtime listeners may know, we don't keep a very specific uh, recording schedule. However, we do get comments on our previous episodes. And as those um, come in, uh, we will try to collate them and and uh, read them on the show. So that's what's coming into our answering machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to uh, air these grievances. They're not, they're not <laughs> grievances. <laughs> Sometimes when we get questions uh, that are specific, we'll, we'll try and answer them wherever they come in. But, you know, a lot of the time, our wonderful listeners just uh, leave us some little heads ups or notes or clarifications on stuff. Um, and these can be in our email or in our Patreon or on Twitter. And so we just wanted to start making sure we acknowledged that uh, we hear those and that we're glad you're listening. And thank you for taking the time to send us your thoughts on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll see if I can get this, uh, get this device working here. <laughs> Over on our Patreon, Brian, one of our uh, long-term gumshoes, uh, noted that we breezed past an important point a very important point, in fact, in the house on Willis Avenue, our episode 78. As we've said in the past, we were not car guys, so this one went past us. But yeah. Rocky, we probably said that he drives a Ford. Rocky drives a GMC pickup, and the whole conversation about the red Ford is a red herring. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we, we missed some stuff by not being car guys, but uh, I re- appreciate that uh, that our uh, uh, audience uh, and fellow slews are there to uh, back us up. To, to fill in the gaps. It just made such a uh, poetic kind of sense that he would be talking mm-hmm. about his uh, his the Red Fords, that he would be driving a Red Ford, but that is not the case. Though I do think, I would have to go back, but I do think that there is some relevance because Brockleman, Richie Brockleman drives a Ford. Mm-hmm. He drives a Mustang. Just saying. We were our, our love for Rocky blinded us to the real, <laughs> the, the real parallel that should have been drawn there. Over on our website, Eric filled us in on our dry-humored goon from the house on Willis Avenue as well. Uh, the head goon in the episode with the dry wit is Pernell Roberts, who had played the oldest Cartwright son on Bonanza for many seasons and went on to play the title role in Trapper John M.D., which I don't think um, stitches together any uh, uh, fictional universes. There might be a connection with Bonanza and uh, Maverick. I'm sure there is some uh, seven degrees of Maverick that could be, yeah, <laughs> that can be drawn through all of those. I have not seen those shows, but uh, if he has a similar kind of performance, then if uh, if Trapper John MD ever comes on my on my radar, maybe I'll I'll give it a look. Trapper John MD does belong to a larger cinematic universe, though I think. All right. Well, while you check that out, I'll just uh, let everyone know that if you uh, if you're not aware, uh, at our website, which is just 200aday.fireside.fm, there are uh, comments enabled on our episodes, so that's where website comments come from. Uh, Anyone can go ahead and leave a leave a note on any of our episodes. If you go back through them, you'll see some fun ones where people get mad at Epi for not pronouncing Garner correctly. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
uh, Trapper John MD is is a spinoff of MASH, so there's that. So we're we're learning already. Yeah. Speaking of cinematic universes, on Twitter, at uh, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, though that threw me <laughs> when I first saw it, at Jordan Bockelman clued us into a fun Easter egg uh, on an episode that we haven't done yet. They say, I may have just discovered a Rockford Files expanded universe in season three, episode eight, Rattler's Class of 63. A book titled Mrs. Melville in London appears on Jim's bookshelf. Mrs. Melville is, of course, the fictional detective who is the subject of a series of books written by or co-written by the murderer from the first non-pilot Columbo episode, Murder by the oh, Book. Yeah. Uh, Jack Cassidy plays uh, that murderer and he kills his co-author who actually did all the work on their Mrs. Melville books. And so at one point, Columbo is walking around with a big stack of Mrs. Melville books. <laughs> and so that was 71, Rattler's Class of 63, came out in 76. It seems like an intentional Easter egg, which is yeah, very fun. That's wonderful. I, I have seen that episode of Columbo. That was a good episode of Columbo. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's a Steven Spielberg directed Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a strong first episode. Um I mean technically it's a TV movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, well that's what's on our answering machine for now. As we accumulate some more comments, we will uh, check the machine in another episode or two. Feel free to let us know what you think at our website, 200aday.fireside.fm. If you're part of our Patreon over at patreon.com slash 200aday, or uh, you can tweet us at 200pod. So you you picked this episode. Uh, Yes. When I was supposed to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had some back and forth because your original pick, while an episode that I like very much, is another two-parter. So we're going to... Yeah. And we've done two of those in a row. So we're going to push that off for a little while. Um, Yeah, so I was just going back to to find one that might be a little little easier lift uh, for our next recording. I think I probably casually set the creative constraint that I wanted to see something from the later seasons. Um, And I think... We landed on season five, I believe. Yep. Season five, episode six, a good clean bust with sequel rights. Mm-hmm. This is almost a meta episode because it's our, it's a, so we are watching a detective show. The story of which concerns a detective who has had a show made about him. Yes. Uh, and that Rockford ends up having to uh, babysit, or at least at the beginning. And as luck would have it for a ride along. On our podcast, we have two Hollywood stars who are watching us record the podcast so they can play people who do a detective show podcast (laughs) in an upcoming... Sorry. That's a bit I couldn't follow all the way through. (laughs) (laughs) Good effort. Uh, Yeah. So this is one that I have seen all of these uh, before. This one I kind of remembered as being like fun, but not particularly like convoluted. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that is true. The most convoluted thing is just, I think, the central character's motivation. So yeah. you have a character who is uh, whose decisions and choices are what's pulling Rockford and therefore us through the story. And there's a little bit of like, why? What yeah, What are yeah. these? And, and some of them um, made sense as it unfolded. And some of them maybe together we'll figure out how they make sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But um, the, the mystery, there is a mystery here, but it's, it's mainly just following this destructive force right. running through his own life. So this episode is uh, written by Rudolph Burchert, who we have not uh, seen before in our show. Uh, he actually wrote three episodes of the Rockford files and did the teleplay for two others. It's kind of interesting, you know, I try to take a look at, at 
who the who the writers are. Um, mm-hmm. His IMDb, I feel like, is not particularly extensive. He did a ton of chips. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, no more than like four or five episodes of a couple other shows and then lots of one-offs. Uh, some Kolchak the Night Stalker was involved with a show in the 80s called Scarecrow and Mrs. King that I'd never heard of and I checked it out. The Adventures yeah. of a Housewife and a Spy with Whom She Fell in Love. I've, I remember Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Hmm. I, I don't remember much about it because it, it's been since the 80s since I saw it, but I do remember it. But yeah, the only real info I could, I, I could find about him um, was from his obituaries. Um, he died in 2003, but apparently he was he worked with Stephen Cannell a lot, and he was sought after as a fixer and an emergency man, able to compose a completely new script when the need arose in 24 hours. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, That's a good... Uh... Yeah. It's a good skill. Yeah, I was going to say something that you probably want people to say about you. But then I thought then you're the one that they're going to call and say, you got 24 hours right, to fix right. this, do it. And there was also uh, a line in, in there in one of the obituaries about how he was very research oriented. And he was like, that was one of his skills as a writer was he did a lot of like deep research on stuff, which is uh, interesting in contrast to being a fixer yeah. and emergency man. <laughs> Uh, multifaceted, perhaps, but I I feel like there's a little bit of that that comes through in this episode, and maybe we'll get into a couple of those details. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there is some stuff that at first read I'm like, oh, that's just a that you know that's a tossed off thing, but then when I looked into it, I'm like, oh, there's actually something here, which is yeah. always always fun. And uh, this one is directed another William Ward production. Um, oh William, yeah, we'll have to do a full. <laughs> breakdown of your stuff at some point but uh we're still i think in the thick middle of the like 20 odd episodes that uh he directed of the show um do we want to talk about the main character about frank falcone before we get into it sure i think there's a um okay so it's interesting to see that the writer here uh just looking through his imdb pre this episode well he did a lot of uh uh kolchak the night stalker which i appreciate uh but he well, I guess it isn't. He doesn't really get into it. like he's done some police stuff. What What's interesting is that he's writing a send up. Some of this is the main character, Frankie Falcone or Frank Falcone, mm-hmm. uh, is a cop, which you wouldn't expect from that name in the Rockford Files. <laughs> uh, unless I guess Falcone makes him a cop if, if they were like Falcone. Right. But anyways, he um, is a retired cop who has had like a movie and a TV series based on him. Rocky's really into it. Uh, it's very uh, popular. And the presentation of this, mo- this this TV series is, I think, in the Rockford Files, in this episode, it's presented as a send-up yeah. of, mm-hmm. like, like the t- it's, they're making fun of cop shows right. to some extent. So it's, it is interesting to hear that this guy then went on to write, say, Chips. Right. <laughs> not, uh, not to disparage Chips or anything like that. It's just, like, it's best to make fun of something from the inside. Right, right. It's right. best, the best parodies are often done by people who are already steeped in the genre and know. Right. Um, and what I, what struck me was the layer of parody going on because mm-hmm. you have the earnest show that uh, is a funny gag because the guy's catchphrase is freeze Turkey. It's the most mm-hmm. generic thing, uh, but Rocky just Rocky loves it. it. Rocky just loves it. Loves it. Uh, and then you meet the guy and he is uh, like in the beginning, I was trying to get a handle because I couldn't remember how this episode panned mm-hmm. out. I couldn't get a handle on whether he was running a con. Right. Yeah. I think what what I get from him is that he's a 
he's an operator who's kind of fallen into a position that now he's going to take advantage of. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, I mean, that's what the, his framing story is about with the, the toy company and everything. Um, and that's where the tension comes from. But like, I do think he's played. So first of all, uh, Frank Falcone is played by, uh, Hector Elizondo, who does a, I think is, is great. Yeah. Um, this is one of those where like, I know him from a very specific thing, but oh, the yeah. majority of humanity would know him from things that are much more famous. <laughs> like, Chicago Hope, where he was one of the main character. But anyway, he he plays the non-Iranian sheik in the Colombo episode that's about the uh, diplomat's compound where he commits a murder and tries to get away with it because he has diplomatic community. Anyway, 70s casting, not always great um, mm-hmm. in terms of racial representation. However, Hector Elizondo, a great character actor. <laughs> anyway, so here he has a lot of manic energy, right? Like that's his whole character is just having all this like relentless restlessness Mm -hmm. and kind of you know having like a short temper right that's kind of the the other the other thing but uh, yeah it's earnest it's not it's not uh he's not hiding something really his dialogue his speech patterns are very um it's almost a noir send-up yeah the things he says uh, are florid in that noir way. Uh, you know, he, he waxes poetic about the streets, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so in, in a way that you would expect Angel playing that character <laughs> would talk. <laughs> yeah. that, that was part of what, what, um, what sort of got me. So anyways, it, I, I think it's really interesting. And we, as we go on, maybe we can talk a little bit about it. But um, finding that line of where, like, is this meant to be a full-on parody or is this meant to be a uh, a little bit of ironic distancing so we can separate him from, say, uh, Dennis? Mm-hmm. So you have a show, The Rockford Files, which has uh, cops in it You have that deals with things that presumably Frank Falcone also deals with. But you have to separate Frank from Rockford. You have to separate, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of this is just uh, a, tech, a writing technique to get a little distance from um, the real Falcone's reality and mm-hmm. Rockford's reality. Yeah, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Anyways, I don't know. I think <laughs> the other thing I would throw in there, and then maybe we'll we should get into it, is that I think an element of that distancing is kind of about is is kind of to talk about the nature of celebrity. Yeah, because that's the thing is he's a. I mean, we see clearly through Rocky, but then also through Dennis, he is a celebrity because he is being played by an actor on TV yeah, in a show they like. But it's very clear that he's not the actor, right? But he's famous because what we would now call a parasocial relationship that yeah. viewers have of, of, of the actor that plays him on TV. He's an influencer. He's an influencer. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably a good time to go ahead and jump into our preview montage. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot in this preview montage. I will say this. Yeah, it's a little thin. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, someone pulls a knife and Jim jumps in the water. I think it, I might have mentioned this before, but there's something. Um, it probably shoots to a little earlier than the Rockford Files, but the, the diving means equals excitement. Right. Like, like this just <laughs> shorthand in that era. But we do get that there is a $25,000 reward. So our ears pick up. Mm-hmm. And we also see Jim take a big bite out of a sandwich. In the oh, preview yes. montage. Yes. And uh, personally, seeing Dennis, I was like, wow, it's been a while since I've seen Dennis. Yeah, that's true. And I was pretty happy about that. Other than that, that that's what we get. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty standard. It says excitement, characters that you like, money's on the line, someone needs a sandwich. 
Hello, listeners. This is a quick break before we get into the episode to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This show is free to all, but the support from patrons really goes a long way. So we always extend a special thanks to our gumshoes. This time we say thank you to Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Check out the site for reviews of books, games, movies, comics, and more. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, you're playing games online, so check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party at rollforyear.party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Kip Hawley, and Dave Otterson. And finally, we cannot thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Big thanks to Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses. A bonus podcast where we casually chat about all the media we're currently enjoying and things going on in our lives. Help out the show by leaving a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So after our preview montage, we start our episode with a preview montage. Yes. <laughs> As we watch Rocky watching the beginning of the show Falcone. So in this preview montage, we see an exploding car. We see a car going through a gas station and busting through barrels. <laughs> we see a car hitting a fire hydrant. We see cop cars chasing a car. And we get a funky bass groove going as we cut to Rocky as he's eating his sandwich and yelling for Jimmy to come over to sit down because it's about <laughs> to start. Here it comes. Um, and speaking <laughs> of your thing with uh, uh, diving equals excitement, we then have a montage of people jumping off of rooftops and falling off of fire yes. escapes. <laughs> I am curious. Uh, I, like It's neither here nor there, but I wonder how much of this is was just pieced together from not necessarily stock footage, although it could be stock footage. It could be just um, re- stunt person reels that they had access to or something like that. Or did they go out and film this for this yeah. episode? Because that must have been fun. Right. Well, they got to blow up a car just for this. Yeah. Um, but I suspect it probably was just stitched together from... There's very little of the, the actor's B-roll face. or something. Yeah. And this whole beginning scene is is basically a big physical comedy bit where Rocky keeps on yelling at Jim. Jim's getting all the things for his dinner on a plate. Yes. And then as he's just about to sit down, Rocky gets so excited about the iconic... Freeze turkey! Freeze turkey! Freeze turkey! And that makes Jim jump and spill his spill his sandwich on the table, which Rocky does apologize for. But that's the part that he really likes. Freeze turkey. And so this is an episode that does one of the things that is just, I don't know, just one of my favorite Loki Rockford Files things, which is the put all of our setup exposition like in the first scene. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of in the first two scenes. Um, but you know, we're, we get to see Rocky, we're setting up the whole vibe with Falcone, but he's also giving us as the audience, the exposition about the situation, which is that, uh, uh, Jim's going to be working with Frank Falcone. And so Rocky wants him to see the show so that he'll have a sense of who he's working with a world famous cop and a world famous PI working together. Uh, but Jim, of course, being the realist reminds him that, uh, you know, that's just an actor 
he's not going to be working with the actor. He's working with the real Frank Falcone. Yes. Uh, somewhere in this dialogue is when we do have a nice, we have an kind of an over the shoulder shot of Rocky as he's talking and we see Jim behind him take a big bite out of his sandwich. So everything is fine. Things are cool. Yeah. There's no tension here. We see Jim have a bite to eat. But when Jim says that, it doesn't seem like this is a guy who needs babysitting. Rocky gets offended. <laughs> you could put him in any situation and he don't need no one. He don't need you to help him out, Dad, because he has got the guts of a burglar and nerves of steel. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't he say something like he works alone or... And that's actually kind of thematically important. Yeah. What we learn later is that all of his story is based off of stuff he did when he did have a partner. And his partner has been kind of written out of the Falcone legend, as they say. But, uh, yeah, this the childlike glee that Rocky has about this show is uh pretty amazing yeah it's it's uh it's fun yeah there's something about it about using rocky to introduce us to it that i just really uh it both endears us to what's happening because you know rocky is just inherently endearing but also like uh i think it gives gives it excuse to be whatever it is (laughs) (laughs) so uh our next couple scenes we kind of get the the rest of our premise here Jim is at a at a hotel. He's talking to Bob Parsons, who is a representative of Boston Casualty. And uh, he who's someone that that Jim has been doing lots of does lots of regular business with. And this is this guy, Bob, is his like contact there. So this insurance company, Boston Casualty, has uh, an account, Fun Toys, which is debuting a line of toys based on Frank Falcone and they want the uh the the toy launch to go off without any drama but Falcone is difficult and so they're asking the insurance company to ensure i guess that Falcone doesn't get into trouble and that's where Jim comes in so we actually went into this a little bit in plus expenses which is interesting uh cuz a lot of what's happening here is the new of phenomena where toys are uh, mm. becoming big business and there are um, sort of child safety advocates and, and, and whatnot who are maybe concerned that this too hot to handle uh, ex cop is not the right role model for kids. Right. And uh, this is a day and age in where that concern might have sunk the toy line. Mm. Well, I feel like that's a little out of date <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> Well, there is something that I feel like is kind of relevant that is outlined for us very specifically. There's pressure on this guy, Bob, at all levels because their insurance company is invested in a mutual fund that is invested in the toy company. (laughs) And so if the toy company's stock goes down because Falcone has a big public flame out, that hurts the mutual fund and that hurt, which hurts the insurance company. So yes. it's all this big, like financial, like everyone's, you know, tied into each other. Yeah. I think there's something where that could be the premise for the episode, all these like financial interests. And, and that's not, that's just the, that's just setting us up. That's just why Jim is there. But, uh, yes, that feels more relevant to today with the like everyone is invested in everyone, regardless of what your business actually is or does. Yes. Yeah, it's two uncommented things because there's that and then just the propaganda stuff. Like yeah. it's just both of those slammed together uh, and then they're just background material for what's actually right. going to happen here. What is going to happen um, is we are going to see one of the finest examples of 
art department. We need this today. Yes. Graphic design that I've ever seen. I made a note of this one too. I think I've posted this this on Instagram before, but I'll I'll uh I'll include a, a screenshot on on the Patreon at least of the sign for the convention hall where it's just a white sign with blue letters and it says fun toys dot 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 and then in the middle is a sketch illustration of Falcone's face and then convention at the bottom and it's very <laughs> Uh, graphic design is my passion. Yes. Uh, it's beautiful. I love that stuff. It's so good. And this is just a, you know, we're seeing people mingling and looking at these, like, I guess, sample toys. This is where we first see Frank Falcone, as we have a nice little shot of him handling the hostage puzzle ages two to six. I have a little mini thread throughout this mm-hmm. about the hostage puzzle that we, maybe you've got the same thing. Um, the hostage puzzle appears to be, I, this game probably has many different names, mm-hmm. like Marble Maze is how I remember it. Sure. It's a board that has a uh, um, marble on it and then like walls mm-hmm. and then two holes uh, or maybe just one hole, the exit hole, uh, and two knobs. So you can change w- whether this board is tilting on the x-axis or the y-axis, and you're supposed to get... Uh, oh, there's probably many holes. I, I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes. I think there's different variations, yeah. Yeah, and you're trying to get it through this maze to the exit hole. Now, this is like this is a thing that like my grandpa has made them, mm-hmm. just fashioned them by hand and sold them at uh, flea markets or whatever. There's nothing about hostages. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been rebranded because it is a Frank Falcone toy. Yes, uh, but... Throughout this episode, it'll be rebranded several times, <laughs> and I'll just point that out when we get to them. Oh, great. I don't think I noticed the other ones, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, because they keep mentioning it, but they don't... Well, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it when we get to the next one. Um, you know, we see we see uh, Frank Falcone, Hector Elizondo in an amazing uh, mustache and goatee combination. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's glad handing and, and, you know, saying hi to people. And then we see him zero in on an attractive woman in a red dress who's walking across the room. So I think we start to get an idea of who this guy Falcone is, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to the back room where Jim is now meeting with the PR guy for the toy company and getting the lowdown on, on the situation from their perspective, which includes the line that, Toys are the hardware of child's dreams. Yes. <laughs> I wrote that down too. That's a good motto for a company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where we get, I mean, uh, we, we, we get more filled in about why specifically they need Falcone to be like handled in yeah. this conversation. Um, that there's some uh, recent revelations about their his past from an ex-partner. And there's some distance between the image and the legend. And the yeah. whole idea with this toy line is that their forecasters think that there's going to be a backlash against the permissive vigilante in, you know, today's, you know, freewheeling culture. And so the the clean good guy cop image is going to be a counter to that. And so that's why... They're branding their toys with Falcone because of the TV show. That's his image. But I think as we already see, there's a little bit of a gap between that and the, quote, real Falcone. And we hear that he is an impulsive man. Uh, This scene continues with him uh, back to Falcone making a kissy face at the woman. When she comes over to him, he 
grabs her and tells her to put it back on the street, pulls her into the back room to confront the PR guy with like, uh, you know, this woman's in here hustling Johns. <laughs> and so it's a bit of an undercut, right? We get that first image where he's like, oh, he's scoping out the ladies. But it turns out that yeah. he's using his finely honed cop instincts to, you know, see when someone is uh is is turning tricks or whatever but he is told that uh we are well aware of her one-on-one hospitality and that she's you know supposed to be there it's yeah it's clear that this is a uh um again like it's how the sausage is made which mm-hmm. is the thing that just keeps happening over and over in this episode like the toy companies are not um uh lily white either that you know they're they're right. very they're a okay with, with uh, prostitution at their conventions if it keeps whoever they need there keeps there the buyers happy or whatever yeah. yeah and and Falcone you know points out the hypocrisy you're all worried about my image and then this is right. what you're doing but uh, they kind of change the subject and tell him that you know this is Jim Rockford he's going to be spending time with you uh, Falcone says that he's a man alone but it is it turns out that's in his contract that if they want him to have a bodyguard he's going to have a bodyguard. And so we transition to the one-on-one Jim and Frank uh, yes. hangout situation. The hangout situation, which we're about to see, is interesting because it feels uh, at, at that moment when when they start hanging. Because leading up to this, Jim doesn't want to babysit him. We see that he's probably going to be a nightmare to babysit. There's, you know, this uh, Jim's like doing his thing where he does everything he can not to take the case. Uh, but he's going to have to take the case. Falcone's doing his thing that's trying to reject him, but there's this third party that's going to make them have to. And then when they get when they are hanging out, genuinely, you think they could just hang out. Yeah, they have gr- they have good chemistry. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, these two actually could just have fun. They mm-hmm. just enjoy yeah. their time. There's a bit of a, a, you know, opposites collide kind of chemistry. Yeah. But I think it's real. I think it, it seems to me like they have a lot of fun in this episode as actors yeah so uh frank starts off by asking him asking him if he likes the guy playing him on tv (laughs) because falcone doesn't he thinks he's kind of wooden and then when jim kind of is like well i don't really he's like there was a gag earlier where jim was like well if you ask me if i watch the show i'll just tell him i read proust or whatever and (laughs) he's like oh don't tell me you're at home reading hamlet everyone's an intellectual when it comes to tv which again is a cultural context that is completely gone right the idea that yeah, like yeah tv is only for dumb people or whatever uh i feel like that has long since changed he uh says that he he picked out the the prostitute at the convention because uh, he has the eyes and then he asked jim how long he was down down where down home man and uh so five years how do you know i told you i got the eyes yeah <laughs> I feel like this is establishing that he is not a fraud in the sense of he's running a con. Like, he is who he says he is. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's hard at this point to figure out the signals, but I think I suspect at this point that he is an actual cop. He's just over the top. Um, they run into uh, a friend of Frank's named Augie, uh, who wants to talk to him yeah. alone, who lives, so that leaves Jim alone with Augie's uh, companion, Debbie, with an I. <laughs> One B or two. <laughs> she has to think about it. Yep. Um, yeah. So I got a question for you here mm-hmm. in this scene. Are they, I feel like they're clearly implying, because Augie is looking for a local connection. There's a suggestion that he did movies back in Detroit. Chicago. 
Come on. It's all from Chicago. <laughs> it's all from Chicago. Uh, apologies. Um, uh, so anyways, it, you know, he's a connection from Chicago and he did movies back in Chicago. I think there's a clear implication that these movies are porn. I think so. I, I got that too. Yeah, they don't, it's never stated outright, mm-hmm. but it just seems like that's what they're hinting at with the, the Winks and Debbie and, and all of that. That's Well, yeah, and Frank tells him like, you you didn't do anything more than hold a spotlight or something like that. And, and put a camera on their tripod. Yeah, I think he says like, that's not real film. Yeah. Uh, and Augie's like, look, if it's on a if it's on a screen, it's it's film. Yeah. Yeah, because Augie is specifically trying to break into like the movies. Like he's come to LA yeah. to try and, and get into legit or he doesn't say legit, but it is implied to get into, you know, the real movie business. And um he, he I guess he has engineered running into Falcone because he thinks that since Falcone always has he's always he always has an edge. So maybe he has some yeah. connections or something like that. We cut from Jim getting some info from Debbie, which involves coming from Chicago um, and that he's looking for local connections and that he, Augie mentioned that he wanted to talk to Frank. Like as soon as they got there, he's like, oh, I have to go talk to Frank. Yeah. And then we see Falcon and Augie talking and there's something about uh, he's letting him know that his ex-partner Wexler is in town. He's gotten this from an unimpeachable source. His cousin told him this. So he wants Falcon to know. Um and then they have the exchange about, you know, film is film. And uh, Frank finally was like, look, I can't help you right now. Good luck. And like brushes him off. So at this point, I am uh, like this. This is the beginning of our mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a core mystery here that is not important to the plot. Right. <laughs> why? Part of it is who who is this guy and why why does he you know need Frankie's attention? But also we're gonna see in in just a few minutes. Uh, Frankie goes way overboard trying to make things happen. Uh, we've been set up with the oh now you have to follow this guy right because what's happening here in the episode is that we're following Rockford following uh, Frankie uh, Falcone mm. and this is the mystery that leads Falcone. Mm-hmm. And to that extent, Rockford has to kind of solve it as well. Uh, but again, it's, it's neither here nor there. What What's really important is just that Jim is thrown into this uh, chaotic situation. Yeah. This is very much a reactive story where like yeah. stuff happens and Jim reacts to it. At the end, there, there's a little bit of like, oh, let us put some information together. And here is what here is the solution to the mystery. But. Jim isn't trying to do anything for like the first two thirds of the episode. He's trying yeah. to stop things from happening. Yeah. So it's a little more action-y and a little less uh, mystery-y, I think. Yeah. We end the, that scene with uh, Falcone wanting some fresh air. He wants to go walk around for a while. And Jim says, well, you want fresh air. That's at the beach. Yeah. And then we have our credits play over over our opening music as we do a little L.A. montage this is one of our later credits. It comes at like 13 minutes into the episode. Yeah, I was a little surprised when it came out. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, we got the Falcone credits right away. So we have uh, some, some fun street scenes of L.A. And then we zoom zoom back down to them uh, just walking down a street. Falcone has a, has a tip on a great chili place that they're heading to. Uh, maybe to meet up with Colombo. Who knows? Uh, I'm sure there's some sort of joke here about the, uh, it being chili. Like I know. Okay. So chili shows up in the Rockford files a lot. Mm-hmm. We know that Jim and James don't like garlic mm-hmm. or no, we know specifically that James Gardner doesn't like garlic. Now there was too much, there was too much garlic in the, in the chili and, uh, yeah. the roadhouse that, uh, Rocky was running. 
That was that was an on-screen thing. Yeah, but like I don't know if that's if any amount of garlic would be too much, or if it's just because oh. he was taking it by the handful and throwing it in, right? Like that's the joke or whatever. But otherwise, I associate chili with angel, right? And we see angel eat chili or any other sort of hot sauce thing. Uh, well, I guess Jim does like hot sauce. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm stepping too much on your toes. No, no. Trying to interpret the choice of food here, but uh, uh... here's my thought. Yeah, and this is part of it. the extended universe. Yes, <laughs> chili is cop food. So, because Columbo, he's a chili man with beans without ah. beans. Columbo's a chili man. Frank Falcone, former cop, chili man. Angel, you'd think this would break down, but Angel always putting hot sauce in it. It's kind of like an inverse, like a reverse chili. He's more interested ah. in the sauce and the crackers and everything. Okay. All right. All That's right. That's how I pull those together. That that works. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, it just it definitely felt like they were trying to say something when it was like a chili. And also, and I will say this, I mean maybe this is like a regional thing. No, it's it's it is absolutely a regional thing. I'm sure elsewhere in the world people are like, I know a really great chili place. But I've never heard anyone in real life utter that. <laughs> other than being in Cincinnati, I don't know where else uh, right. you'd really aim for a chili place in particular. I don't know. And if anyone has a great chili place that they want to recommend to us that does a vegan chili, let us know. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm absolutely wrong. There was a chili <laughs> place that used to be next to uh, the convention center in Indianapolis <laughs> that uh, it had a vegan chili. Uh, and it was really great. And then uh, they were there one year, and then the next year it was Noodles Company. Mm-hmm. So that's my story of a really great chili place. I, I take it all back. <laughs> uh, however, we do get the great line that was also from the preview montage. It's the street. She's like a lady. She can kiss you, kill you, but she'll never bore you. You got that straight from Falcon. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Jim says that uh, he thinks that maybe he wanted to walk uh, walk around because the stoolie brought him bad news. It's like, oh, you figure a doggy for a stoolie? And Jim says, I've got the eye. Yes. But yeah, they go into a, a pool hall, which is apparently the, the chili place, order a bowl and a beer, and then Falcone uh, r- racks up some balls and then immediately starts getting into uh, an, insult, <laughs> an insult contest with the two gorillas at the next pool table. Though technically, they do start it. I will say that. Right. Because they give... Uh, Jim and, and Falcone some some uh, some static about uh, oh what are you guys doing here you're all dressed up for Sunday school because they're wearing suit coats yeah or sports jackets I should say they're wearing sports jackets well Falcone's wearing like a more like a windbreaker but anyway they're more dressed up one of these guys has, and it's commented on has his sleeves cut right has a sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off yeah Jim tries to calm things down but Falcone obviously intentionally escalates the situation yes so. Okay, so this is this is kind of a turning point in the character for me, and I think it's a nice mm-hmm. one. I really kind of enjoyed it because up to this point, as far as I could tell, he was just hot headed and itching for a fight wherever or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. the, like, like the, there was no rhyme or reason to what was happening here. And then when the fight broke out, I was like. Oh, he's trying to lose Rockford. Right, yeah. I mean, I love it when it when that hits at a good moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be a personal thing between me and the show. Maybe a smarter viewer would get it before <laughs> it happened. Maybe uh, other viewers didn't get it until I mentioned it right now. I don't know. But the point is, when it hits at that sweet moment, I, that feels good to me. And I mm-hmm. think that that, like, it, 
is well crafted and that this is definitely one of those ones for yeah. me where i was like yeah okay there's a depth to what's happening here yeah totally again a scene doing more than one thing yeah uh yeah so falcone escalates to where there will be a fight and then when one of the guys interrupts his pool cue that's the trigger for it uh but yeah as you say falcone takes the opportunity to to run up the stairs while jim is still busy with one of the other guys and so yeah while you know jim jim and falcone win the fight uh but by the time jim gets out of there falcone's jumped in a cab and then jim jumps in a waiting cab and goes you're not gonna believe this pal follow that cab uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is more of the like kind of parody level right yeah yeah a little self-aware wink um to the genre um but there is not an issue following falcone they both pull up to the gilbert hotel uh there's two good little money moments here where first jim has to find the cash to pay the driver and then he just like starts trying to calculate a tip i think and then he says i'll just keep it yeah (laughs) it's not worth the time yeah and then he goes in and asks the the guy at the desk you know where'd the guy who just came in go uh and he won't tell him until he pulls out another bill and lays it on the counter but then he he does run upstairs to Wexler's 314. We cut to, to Falcone yelling at this guy. This is his former partner, Wexler. They have a bit of a argument that, that is that is pointing to things that we learn later, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess they haven't been in touch for two years. Um Frank's telling him he's an idiot for coming out to LA. Wexler's saying that I never hear from you. Now I'm supposed to, he says, grow points on my ears, which I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means, but like now I'm supposed to pay attention to what you're doing or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I was trying to figure that one out too. And I, I, I don't know. I, I the nearest I could was, I was just thinking it was like a reference to antenna uh, or something. I don't know. Anyway, Frank then punches him in the stomach and takes him down. And then we follow Jim in to break up the fight and, uh, help the guy up. And he's clearly, his arm is clearly messed up. It is no good. And there's a very abrupt break here. Yeah, I wrote the same. I was like, weird commercial cut. It probably makes more sense if there was a commercial, right? Because this would cut. Yeah. We go to commercial, we come back at the police station. But yeah, watching it straight through, it's like, cut. Completely different scene. <laughs> yeah. Where we are downtown at uh, at the police station, where our good friend Dennis Becker is uh, yeah. coming into the to his desk with uh, Falcone, a lawyer, the PR guy, and Jim. And uh, Falcone wants to be clear that Jim had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Turns out that Wexler suffered a broken thumb and a dislocated shoulder. So he's still sedated at the hospital. And then Dennis is kind of playing things slow. We don't have the statement. He's still under sedation. And then this like random police captain comes in and just leans on him. <laughs> Specifically, he hates Rockford. Yeah. No, have we seen this? I don't think so. I no, think this okay. is a one-off so- character. Yeah, I was trying to find him in the um, the credits, but there's nobody. I can't remember what his name was. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. The point is, is that like he clearly wants to stitch up Rockford, and there's nothing right. to stitch Rockford up with. And Dennis, it appears, wants to make sure that Falcone doesn't get stitched up for anything. Yeah, <laughs> he's just playing it very, very calm and cool. Uh, and so you've got these competing uh, interests that are are putting tension on the scene. The captain wants something done, but nobody else, the one person the captain can point to, they can't get. And then nobody else wants anything to happen to Falcone. Right. But he's like, well, you have the arresting officer statement, right? Yeah. Book him. Like, that's all you need. Yeah. So Dennis has no choice. It's an interesting thing because it's like, other than just having like, oh, 
all of the police captains hate Rockford, which is fine. I like, like that's a right. fine theme to reinforce. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not like this is a political, this doesn't come back. There's no, like the LA yeah, yeah. police are, you know, hate the Chicago police. And that's why, or something like this is really just this one little bit. And it, I guess it's to show that it's to like preserve the fact that Dennis is starstruck because after Falcone leaves, Dennis is like, can you believe? Yes. I have Frank Falcone in the cells, and he, like, calls his son to tell him. Yeah. Hey, Scotty, you'll never guess who we got in here tonight. And he's a personal friend of mine. Frank Falcone. That terrific? No, not the TV actor, the real guy. Yeah, the real detective. I'm not kidding. I don't know. It's just, like, a weird little... I mean, it's fun. It's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's... It's a... It's a... It's a... It's a little piece of, uh... I don't know, a little piece of business that just kind of like is there for fun, I guess. I suspect that this captain is there because they didn't have the lieutenant on hand. Yeah, they didn't have Chapman or something. Yeah. And so they, they like the lines were probably written for Chapman. <laughs> ordeal um and uh it uh and they just threw someone else in to do it uh but but yeah there's there, the other bit that kind of comes out in this scene is that jim's going to lose boston casualty that's the important thing yeah his whole job was to babysit falcone falcone was not yeah. babysit so someone's going to have to like someone has to answer for this and yeah he was hired to do this he didn't do it so he's the one who's getting cut off now i don't know if we've seen his contact uh bob i don't think so in other episodes but i boston casualty i think has that come comes up. up a lot yeah yeah much like how chicago is where the gangsters are right. boston is where the insurance right. is, is from i mean this actor uh uh james murtaugh is in a bunch of yeah. Rockford Files episodes, but I don't think this character... I mean, he's got a face for a bunch of Rockford Files episodes. With this one, we've seen all of his episodes. Oh, good. He was in Tall Woman in Red Wagon. He was in A Portrait of Elizabeth. And he was in The Hawaiian Headache. Hey, well, there we go. The, the complete Murtaugh. The complete Murtaugh. <laughs> so Jim's going to have to take the fall. And this is a big enough deal that this is like the end of his relationship with Boston Casualty. Basically, if Bob doesn't fire him, Bob's going to take the fall. Like he's going to be the one who gets you know, cut is what he says. So he's off the account. They'll send him a final check. And this, he says, um, is worth a steady five to six grand a year yeah uh and to put that again in today money uh it's usually around five times that amount so this like that's not a it's nothing to say maybe even half his income dependable income yeah yeah so it's a big deal um but there's nothing jim can really do about it uh even though he does say that he thinks there's more to the story but that's not the point we have the business with becker being so excited about uh Talking to Scotty's hero, Frank Falcone. We see Jim give a good eye roll in the background as he tells him the good news. Cut to Wexler at the hospital on a payphone talking to someone, basically telling them what happened and specifically mentioning Rockford. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break so that everyone can walk around, stretch, get a refreshing beverage of choice, and uh, find out where you can find us on the internet when we're not talking about the Rockford Files. Of course, 200 a day can be found at 200aday.fireside.fm, patreon.com slash 200 a day, and on Twitter at 200pod. 
You can also email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you elsewhere on the internet? Uh, you can find my games at digathousandholes.com. That's dig and then the number 1000 and then holes.com. Or you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Epidia. E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you upon this internet? All of my stuff, including my game design, my freelance graphic design and layout work, and other projects that I do, like zines and podcasts, are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the same handle where you can see pictures of my dog. I hope you're comfortable with your favorite beverage in hand as we return you now to the show. Then we go back to Jim's trailer where Rocky is serving him up some fish stew angrily, I would say, because clearly it's Jim's fault that Rocky's favorite, Frank Falcone, is in jail. Where'd you get the recipe? What's my own recipe? And it's a lot better than Frank Falcone is eating right now. (laughs) Um, Jim explains that, you know, he's done with Falcone. He's out of it. That's it. And then we have another visual, another little gag where Jim spoons up some of the stew and there's just a whole fish head (laughs) that he pulls out of it. He stares at it as Rocky says, he gives it flavor. So Mm -hmm. you know Rocky's mad. We then uh, spend a little time with Falcone and the PR guy the next day after he's uh, posted bail. There's a little bit more kind of like backstory exposition here. You know, there's a narrative here. You beat up your ex-partner who wrote a critical book about you. That is a violation of your like good behavior clause in your contract or something. So, (laughs) you know, I'll try to talk to the board, but they are they will be able to abrogate the contract if they want to. And uh, Falcone is is mad because, you know, Wexler couldn't write a police report. He spilled his guts to someone who wrote it for him. But yes, so there is a book that was written about their past that is not favorable to Frank. We uh, go back to Jim where he's setting up some fishing poles, relaxing in the sun in his deck chair on the pier. Life is good. Yeah, get to get some relaxing fishing time in. Couple of gorillas and coveralls roll up (laughs) with tackle boxes. They have a little pleasantry about the day, and then Jim notices that they're wearing loafers. Yes. Not, uh, you know, sneakers or other appropriate fishing footwear. So he sees one, sees the other. They both uh, slip knives out of their tackle boxes. That's when he jumps off the pier into the water. Yeah. Is this Skippy? It might be. I I mean, I don't know if it's the actor. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, he does. He makes some comment about, like, get my buddy... Which may be Skippy. Like, I think it might be a reference to Skippy. It might be. I mean, so this is both a, like, you know, immediate preservation, but also in a very Rockford move, it draws a bunch of attention. The lifeguard comes over, a bunch of people run over, oh, did you fall? Is he okay? And so our two goons peace out because there's too much, uh, too much attention on, uh. What's going on? Yeah, it's a very it's a it's a very good maneuver on Rockford's part. Um, it just ends it right there, makes it impossible for them to do the thing that they came to do. Although I gotta say, they didn't have a really good plan. 
No, was it just like stab him and throw him in the water or something? Like, yeah, probably they, what they were going to do was threaten him and get him to a second location or something like that. But probably, yeah. I mean, if I were them, right? <laughs> we then go back to the convention hall where Falcone is holding court for the toy people, and then Jim just like edges in and, and grabs his arm. He's <laughs> like, I need to talk to you. <laughs> Which is kind of funny to me. I don't know. It's just like everyone's staring at Frank and then Jim just like walks him away. Yeah. 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 He's definitely like talking to everyone when he shows up and just, yeah, there, it, there's no subtlety going on here. Um, it says that two men were tried to kill him. They were serious. And so am I. He hustles them into a bathroom where they can talk uh, more privately. Falcone says after saying, you know, if you if you call me on this, I'll deny everything. Uh, he gives Jim a little more about what's going on, which is that Augie. So what Augie wanted to talk to Frank about was that Wexler was in L.A. on a contract. So he's been he's there to, to you know, to take somebody out. But he doesn't know who. And Frank was not able to make Wexler tell him in their right. fight before Jim broke it up. He's disgusted about how his former partner's fallen apart. Uh, you know, I used to work with that guy. I had his back. And now look at him. And that's why he started throwing punches. He just, like, just couldn't take how far he's fallen. Um, so Jim thinks that maybe someone figures that Rockford and Falcone are a team. And so since Frank scrambled the contract by messing up Wexler, maybe now Whoever that is, is coming after Jim because he's an easier target. And so Frank says that could be it. And then uh, they they end the scene with the, come on, let's take the fire exit. I'm up to here with toy people. Yeah. Little of the mystery peeling back, I suppose. Um, we have another commercial break and we come back to the Firebird on the road as Jim and Frank go to where Augie is hanging out um, in a nice pad. He's out by the pool. Debbie is reading lines, and then she's reading the wrong lines, and then uh, yeah. uh, Augie's sunning himself with the little reflector thing, and it's all very what my TV idea of Hollywood is. Yes. Um, so as soon as I saw the pool, I was like, someone goes in that pool, right? Yes. <laughs> Check out his pool. Uh, it's interesting how that ends up, though. Mm -hmm. When we get to that, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But that, there is a, a interesting take on that. Um. So they they come in. They want to talk to Augie. Uh, find out more about what he what he knows. He has a line to, to Calumet City, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, I heard from my cousin Leo. This comes straight from Cal City. The Chicago prosecutor's got a strong witness stashed in L.A. The contract is on that witness. Are you sure? When it comes from Cal City, it's like it's on tablets. It's the word. <laughs> Jim describes the goons. Augie recognizes one of them, but says he's personally sure that that guy's in Chicago right now. So couldn't possibly right. be be the be that guy. He's at a wedding. Yeah, they're flying in some singer. It's going to be great. Yeah, there's a little bit of business about the script. He's like, the script is so bad. These writers. He's like, a pilot doesn't talk like this. These writers don't know their character expositions. <laughs> <laughs> which is always very funny um but uh yeah that's the info they get from augie so here i think i mentioned earlier about like the this writer um rudolph borchert there's a, a little bit about him being a research being a deep researcher oh yeah i was like i'm at city i mean that is a place I, I don't really know anything about it so i looked it up and it is a southern it's like a far south chicago suburb but as it turns out 
it was during prohibition it was actually a big mob town it's right across the border from hammond indiana it was called west hammond before it got changed to Calumet city and um it was uh it was a big gambling strip it was like ah. the sin city of the midwest right. um there was a like a mob boss there that ended up getting taken out by capone and like all that stuff so at first i was like like oh you know calumet city illinois as opposed to chicago offhand it's kind of like oh like it this sounds like a small town like a small time right kind of thing and it is because augie is small time but it is actually a city that actually does have a mob background right <laughs> and like could conceivably in the 70s be considered to still be mobbed up that's not out of their own possibility so i just appreciated that once i took an interest and decided to check it out oh there is something there that's not just a totally random reference fair points to the writer in the category of well-researched not 24-hour turnaround right probably the the two products that he provides this Mm -hmm. is the the former not the latter also well-researched not important (laughs) details there's a moment in this one where they have the joke about rockford telling augie to be careful of the sun and he's augie's like yeah i'll put some iodine in the baby oil yeah and it's just, we're so dumb. <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, back in the car with Frank, uh, they're talking about Sam Cassell, who is that enforcer that was, uh, that Augie swears is still in Chicago. Um, so Cassell, another classic Rockford Files mob name. Yeah. Um, they have some good banter about what to do next. Hey, you see my show last Tuesday? Well, in the plot, I send a witness off to Acapulco for a week to cool off. Why don't you go to Tijuana until it settles down? What happened to Acapulco? Hey, this is real life. How would you know? (laughs) But Jim uh, wants to talk to Wexler himself before doing anything else. Uh, I made a note of this because I had to remind myself that Rockford is not on a case right now. No. This is all Mm self-preservation. He's he's not getting paid for any of this. So uh, Frank uh, heads back to the hotel where the... PR guy intercepts him in the lobby and says it's a minefield. The consumer groups representing kids' safety are going for the throat and asking all kinds of <laughs> questions. Um, but uh, uh, Frank's like, I can sort this all out. I, I know what's going on. I can tie the whole thing up in a week, but I can't talk about it now. <laughs> Which he gets out before a quartet of women. I think he refers to them as frumpy. Like they are dressed yeah. in, you know, conservative kind of dress and everything. A little older. Um as they they have some questions for Mr. Falcone. As they come up, the PR guy mumbles, fake a heart attack, which is very <laughs> funny to me. But they're the Anti-Violence Ambiance Association, which is a <laughs> hell of a name. They're not stretching for any kind of acronym there. It's like, we're not against violence. We're against the ambiance of violence. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's... <sighs> Kind of taking a shot at them. Yeah, I wonder if there was an association at the time that had a name that was very similar to that, like anti-violence environment committee, or you know, something like mm-hmm. something like that that they may have been trying to. Um, I will also point out this is the first time, uh, or this is uh, one of those moments where that game may have been rebranded. Oh yeah, because they make reference to the SWAT versus the terrorist game. Oh, okay. which now we've only seen one game so far. They may have more than one, but there's a one more permutation that makes <laughs> me think that these are all different titles for the same game. But yeah, yeah, the SWAT versus the terrorist game, right. which I was like, okay, all yeah, right. They don't think that's appropriate for children. Uh, they in fact say we are against you and all your toys. 
as we might expect at this point, we see uh, Falcone get confrontational and he starts coming back at them. Who's watching your kids while you're down here? School's out yes. by now. Where are your kids? Why can't you tell me? Like, which is a bad faith argument, right? But yeah, that's the kind of guy he is. Specifically, he says, you know what's on TV and reruns in the afternoon? God Zappa eats Wolfman. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> I'm imagining a composited giant Zappa versus yeah. like a, someone in a rubber wolfman suit. I feel like that has to be a music video or something. Yeah. But I rewound it because I was like, did he just say Godzilla weird? I swear he says God Zappa. Yeah, no, that's I heard that too. And I was <laughs> God Zappa eats wolfman. Um, after that, uh, the PR guy peels them off with some uh, some glad handing. Our toys have a psychological counter-violence design. <laughs> and he keeps babbling while uh, Frank kind of just fades and we uh, go to the next scene. I have to say, like, so this is a, a moment when I, I wrote in my notes that I, like, I just got hit by a truckload of con nostalgia in this <laughs> moment. And I don't know why this moment in particular, except that maybe the, the foyer that they're in just felt like a lot of cons that I've been to. I've never been confronted by the Anti-Violence Ambiance Association at a convention mm-hmm. before. I, I I hate to say it. I wish I had. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just had this... So, something about, like, people just walking up and, like, talking, and then a subsuit of that subset of that group go, yeah. splitting off. Then Falcone goes towards the doors and just kind of stands there for a bit. And I don't even remember if they had any dialogue there. Uh, but it just, like, to me, I was like, oh, man... <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, like i don't have anywhere in particular to be yeah and, and out this here. is just there's action here somewhere yeah. if we want to go looking for it otherwise we just hang out here and we'll see people we know yeah no it was weird i mean probably a mountain of uh pandemic lockdown uh yeah on top of all of that is is uh is what what was affecting it but sure. it was the first time in all of this where i was like yeah I liked going to cons. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, from con to con, uh, we cut to Jim talking to Wexler. So this is an interesting scene where I was a little unclear about how much was Jim making stuff up to put Wexler at ease versus just stuff maybe he right. learned that we hadn't seen off on screen. I think it's mostly stuff he's making up because he's saying all these good things <laughs> about Frank because I think he sees his strategy as... Uh, not being confrontational is probably the best way to yeah. figure out what's going on. Um, he, uh, he's only known Frank a couple of days, but he can see something in the guy. Uh, Wexler rode with him for four years and only saw a self-centered grandstander. And Jim says that, you know, you have it all wrong. Frank bounced him around to keep Wexler clean from the contract because he doesn't want Wexler to get into more trouble. Uh, and being mad about the book is like a cover story because he has his like pride or whatever. But he really went on the line for you. And I think we see Wexler kind of accept that, mm-hmm. but also be like, oh, I don't know. Uh, he always has an angle. And he does. Well, I mean, like this is this is actually kind of complex in that, like uh, in the background of everything that Falcone has done, there is this feel of a hustle of yeah. something. Mm hmm. He may have been a dirty cop. Like mm-hmm. there's there's a few things that come out here that just kind of hint at that. And uh, yeah, there's some stuff about like the stuff in the book is, you know, painting him in a worse light than his like good guy yeah. cop image on TV. Yeah. And I mean, works. I mean, the kind of emotional beat here is that like 
Frank got the fame and that's his thing. Like that's his hustle and that's fine. But he just wants to be acknowledged. He could mention me once in a while. I was with him the entire time. Right. And I think that's kind of like the core of the issue is it's not necessarily that he's been cut out from the money and stuff. It's it's more that he's been cut out from the story. Mm-hmm. Jim wants to know who the hit is on, and uh, he's like, "Ah, oh, just some 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 small time flake." And then before he can tell Jim the name, Frank appears in the doorway. Yes, like don't believe anything this lush tells you. And so once he appears, Wexler gets defensive again. He's like, "Oh, you're you know you're the good guy." And then he comes back in here and he kicks him out, and so on. And so Frank tells Jim that Wexler was just telling tales. He wasn't going to tell him anything for real. This leads to them getting back in the uh, Firebird in the parking lot. And then Jim sees that they are being monitored from a blue car. You know, the, the goons are watching them. So before we get into that, I guess in terms of like the plot. Yeah, it's a little confused at this moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, it gets clearer uh, after this. So so Augie tells Frank, Wexler's in town on a contract. Yeah. So Frank goes to Wexler, doesn't find out who the contract's on, and beats him up. Why? <laughs> right, yeah. So, th- I mean, this is a little bit of the... I mean, so he's... So there's two stories. One story is he's mad because Wes- Wexler wrote this book that is putting him in a bad light. Yeah. And he has low impulse control and he's flying off the handle. And then Jim is giving this other interpretation where he's like, he wants to get Wexler out of being on a contract. That could be dangerous for him, I guess. But that's just Jim saying that, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that's not a thing I picked up from Falcone. But yeah, we've got this thing. This is my take on it, right? Augie comes to town, needs Falcone to make connections for him. Right. Has information that Wexler's in town, offers up what he knows mm, to Falcone. Mm-hmm. Falcone doesn't care for Wexler because of the book and is using the fact that he's in town on a contract as an excuse because he gets to play cop. He gets to put mm, himself yeah. kind of in the right position mm-hmm. and, and still just beat him up. Uh, and Jim <laughs> is trying to solve the case. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Falcone wants to solve the case. I think he doesn't want Wexler in town. Yeah. He just wants to get his, like, re- not even revenge, but just, like, I don't know, just vent his spleen. Chase him yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, uh, I mean, like, we're right on the edge of the actual mystery being solved. Right, yeah. Uh, but before we do that. We have a bit of a car chase. Yes. Which and- I honestly thought would be more of a car chase. I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> but it's mostly, um, so first of all, there's some great lines. Oh, yeah. Keep talking. Take a look at that blue sedan over there. Can't tell the driver, the other guy, Sam Cassell. They're the ones from the pier. What are we gonna do? We got nothing. Oh, we got something. And then the music picks up as he pulls out. And then he drives out of this parking lot to where the blue car with the two goons who had tried to jump him earlier yeah. can kind of like parallel him. They're not even following him. They're like trying to sideswipe him. And then I'm like, all right, the chase is on. But the entirety of this is. This, this big yes. blue car swings around in front to block them. And then we pan backwards. So we have a nice wide shot of a big, beautiful J turn just <laughs> executed just for us, just, just yep. to see the splendor. The firebird just drives away and we go, go back inside the car. <laughs> that was slick. Oh, not really. Local drivers do it all the time. 
<laughs> you know, this is the moment where Rockford's life meets the Falcone television show, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we see all these car stunts in the beginning. This is the sort of thing that the fiction around Falcone is made of, and it is Rockford's life. It is something that he he the, he does all the time. Uh, I just love that. I love the, that whole setup and just the sort of wonderment in in Falcone's eyes mm-hmm. when it happens. You know, this like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, and from this point on. I feel that this is when Falcone stops running in opposition to Rockford mm-hmm. and starts seeing them as on an adventure together. Yeah, this is when he 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 buys into uh, to Rockford stock at this point. I think he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we come back from a commercial break to Rocky's place where he's asking <laughs> if if Mister Falcone would like any more ice cream. He tells him just call him Frank. Rocky is clearly agog in the face of yes. you know his hero but he does ask him to do it just one more time and frank indulges with a freeze turkey <laughs> jim wants to go get these turkeys some chicken and rocky offers to fry up the chicken himself but but no jim likes it likes the kind from the store that has the real crispy skin and he starts winking and he's like i'll go get it he's he's trying to tell rocky to keep keep frank occupied while he goes and does something uh, which is, in fact, going down to the station to look at a uh, a file of some kind with some mugshots with Dennis. They're not looking through like a book, like a mugshot book. This is like a file, like it's like a hot sheet or something. Yeah. One of the goons that Jim recognized has a twenty five thousand dollar reward yeah. for his uh, for his capture. Then that's coming from the Calumet City Business Council or something like that. So it's not eligible for police officers to collect, but it is legit. Dennis also checked, and there is no witness undercover from Illinois in L.A., and this isn't something he would be given a runaround on. Yeah. It's just not happening. So what are these goons doing here? Uh, right, because that was Augie's, Augie's uh, uh, story, that the hit was on this witness. Uh, Jim calls Rocky to talk to Frank, but Frank had to go back to the hotel. Something about the toys. And Jim's like, oh, no, not again. And we get some uh, resolution to the toy story, if you will. Yes. As we go back to the to what looks like a board meeting in progress in the exhibition room at the hotel. So the, the PR guy, uh, Jeff, uh, is defending the situation from the pointed questions of a number of other board members. Uh, and at the head of the table is a woman who's like the one in charge. I don't know if we get anyone's name. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Falcone shows up and kind of stalks around while they're talking and he keeps interrupt- interrupting and she <laughs> keeps shutting him down. It's like, if you interrupt one more time, I'm going to have to throw you out of here. Um, but they're not seeing a lot of light for the toy line. You know, anyone have any ideas? And was this your other moment? Yeah, this is the uh, the hostage and terrorist game. Uh, it should go to the European market. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, if this is the same game, it starts off as the hostage puzzle, mm-hmm. and then it's SWAT versus the terrorists, and then the hostage and terrorist game. <laughs> All of that could be 100% intentional. It's a trilogy. Yeah, it's a trilogy. It could be three different games. It could be uh, they keep changing the name of the game to try and, like, match whatever they think the market is is mm-hmm. going to, you know, A-B testing or whatever. Or it could just be the toy execs not knowing the names right, of their right. own games. <laughs> Those are all good. I like all yeah. of those options. Um, this guy also has a different product line to 
to pitch of solar powered vehicle toys. Yes. Uh, they didn't test well a couple of years ago, but now with the energy crisis and all, we can frame <laughs> them as being, uh, you know, they're, they're solar powered. They're preparing children for the clean energy age. They're a nonviolent scientific kind of toy. And, uh, Frank picks up one of them as a tank. <laughs> so Frank, he, he's hearing this whole thing slip out of his grasp, right? Yeah. So he picks up this tank. He's like, you think this is nonviolent? And he starts getting more belligerent <laughs> again. And uh, uh, Jeff is able to to back him off and tells him to leave. And he's like, nothing's decided. We're still going to talk all of this out. We still have a couple days of talking to the buyers. You know, don't worry. I got your back. Um, once Frank leaves, Jeff sits down. The woman goes, I like the solar toys, Jeff. <laughs> I do, too. Well, it's unanimous. Bury the Falcone line. And, and that's why we don't have Falcone toys today now. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he goes outside for some fresh air and Jim pulls up in the Firebird, uh, whisks Frank away to uh, take his mind off the toys for a while as they figure out what's really going on. And we have some shots of them driving with some voiceover. Um, how does a stoolie like Augie end up in L.A. with enough money for that fancy pad and not any money trouble? Because... Falcon specifically asked him at one point, what, you need some money? And right. And I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. You know, how is he here with all this backing and nothing to do? Like he's reading scripts, but it's not like he's there for a job. Like right. he's trying to get a job. What if he is the small time flake getting set up? Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So they pull back up to the fancy pad. Uh, they go in. I was expecting yeah. the the dramatic going in just as the goons appear or whatever. But no, Augie's just asleep by the pool. <laughs> they wake him up. They tell him what's going on. Uh, his cousin Leo must have been setting him up the whole time. The contract's on him. And that's when Jim looks out the door and sees the goons pulling up. How long can you hold your breath? <laughs> as long as I have to. And uh, yeah, this is, I think you mentioned uh, the unanticipated yet very welcome use of the of Chekhov's pool. Yeah, so he, they put him in the pool as a body, face down. Uh, the, the goons come in, they see that, and uh, that distracts them long enough for uh, Rockford and Falcone to get the drop on. Falcone coming in with the garden hose, which <laughs> is a great move. Mm-hmm. Not using the garden hose like a fire hose, like literally just holding a coiled hose. <laughs> Those are heavy. Wielding it as a weapon. <laughs> yeah. But this is the bit that just, I was like, I can't believe they didn't. Nobody got punched into the pool. I know. Right? You just sit there and you watch it the whole time. And you're like, no, they're they're driving them away from them, which makes sense. If you punch them into the pool, then mm-hmm. you have to reveal that Augie's alive. And instead, Augie just sits there holding his breath throughout yeah. the whole fight sequence. And they drag him out afterwards. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, Jim's going to go call the police. There's a reward on the one guy. And we end the scene on Frank's line. That was a good bust, Jim. Maybe I'll write a sequel to my book. Yes. Poor Jim. Uh, and then we go into our last scene. Apparently, uh, theoretically, you know, justice is served. We see uh, Frank Falcone pulling up outside Jim's trailer where he's leaving with some bags. Uh, he asks, like, did you see the last episode or something like that? So we're getting apparently his show's been canceled. Yeah. Frank asks Jim if you ever got that reward. Did you uh, collect the 25 grand on accident? Oh, yeah. The IRS got a bite. I stashed the rest in the time deposit account. Makes up for some income I lost. This is a great snapshot of the reality of Jim's financial life. <laughs> That's the Boston casualty. 
Oh, yeah, that's the income that he lost. Yeah. I don't know what a timed deposit account is. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, a CD or if that's I just don't know like offhand. you tell the bank not to let you take it out. I suspect it's that. I suspect that's it. It's like mm-hmm. he gets access to it on a timed basis. Like a little trust or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Frank wants to know if he feels guilty that he didn't split the reward with him. <laughs> I agreed with the, like the Calumet City decision. You know, you were an obstruction to the investigation, so you weren't eligible for it. Like, yeah, <laughs> but don't you feel guilty? Um, and Frank's like, okay, fine. Just remember... None of this would have happened to you without me. I'll always remember. Yeah. Now that his show's over and his prospects aren't looking so good, a little last-ditch attempt to shake shake something out of Rockford, but it's not going to fly. Jim does offer to buy him a beer, and he's like, nah. But then we end, end our episode with Jim taking a beat, and then... Freeze, turkey! And Frank spins and does the finger gun at him with a big smile freeze frame end of episode so they're still friends despite the 25 grand between them what's 25 grand between friends yeah um the one bit i wanted to point out that i missed when we went through it was just that the sort of vital part of the plot that augie was the target gets revealed in the voiceover mm-hmm. uh as they're driving over and it, uh, it it definitely feels like one of those they did the show they were done with it and they're like, oh, maybe we weren't explicit enough. Let's sneak something in to just. Yeah, because they tell Augie in the next scene. Yeah. But yeah, if you hadn't heard it yet, then that would be easily lost. Yeah. Uh, but as we've said several times during this, uh, that mystery, that that entanglement is uh, s- sort of what's pulling everything along, but it's not important. It's a very, uh, it's a very MacGuffin-y kind of yeah. plot. Sure, a thing is happening, but the thing isn't really that important. What's important is is watching Falcone and watching Jim respond to Falcone. Like, yeah, that's that's what's fun about the episode. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it would go down in the annals of the great uh, Rockford Files plots, uh, personally, but it has good energy. Like, it just has a fun vibe. Yeah. <laughs> this episode just vibes. Yeah, just vibes. There are definitely some action sequences in it, too, that were just really good. The mm-hmm. the setup to the fight in the bar, I really enjoyed. It's a little string of set pieces, really. Yeah. Like, here's a fun little set piece. Here's a fun little set piece. Here's a fun little set piece. They all occur because there is a plot that pulls you from one to the other. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I wanted to mention, speaking of uh, connections and whatnot. Yeah. Falcone is kind of a send up. Well, okay. So there's two layers here. So before the Rockford Files, there was a show called Toma, which was a Cannell, Roy Huggins, uh-huh. Juanita Bartlett show. Um, it was a show about uh, a cop. I'm not sure where it was set, but uh, it's a show about a cop and it's based on a real cop from New Jersey named David Toma. Uh-huh. There was only one season of that show because the, the, star tony musante who i don't know if i'm really familiar with oh he was on as the world turns anyway the the star didn't want to come back because he didn't want to get typecast as a detective apparently and so when they were like we want you to come back as a detective for the second season of our detective show (laughs) he was like no i don't want to do that but it turned into beretta Ah. one of the beretta episodes is what eventually turned into the rockford files pilot okay so Frank Falcone is based on Dave Toma as well, but 
kind of as at, at this like abstracted, you know, yeah, almost yeah. send up level. Cause I think that was a pretty straightforward show. So yeah, there's a, 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 a deep, <laughs> a little, a little deep cut callback situation, um, to earlier canal projects. Yes. The canal cannon, the canal cannon, canal cannon. Um, and so David Toma did write a book and right. So that's the plot, right? Yeah. He wrote a book. They made a, a show about his book anyway. Uh, yeah. So fun facts. And I, I feel like in this episode, there was definitely, uh, you know, they're making fun of maybe toy manufacturers saying, you know, this might be a little bit of a ridiculous character, but when I was a kid, Rambo was a cartoon, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, uh, it was just after this time, but it was definitely heading in that direction. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a toy line based on a cop show is not yeah. that weird, right? The idea that there's anything that the real life person could do to, you know, stop the wheels once they're in motion to the point yeah. where they have products that they're showing to <laughs> yeah. buyers that would stop that, uh, that that's, that's the most unrealistic part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of it has that kind of offbeat vibe that, you know, I like so much. It's not a canal script, but it has that kind of like this whole thing starts because of a insurance company that is insuring a bet on a toy line. Yeah, that they that they've invested in right. through a mutual fund that. Uh, right. Yeah. But yeah, once we're kind of off to the races, it's kind of like, hey, let's just see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, just 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 vibing. Just vibing. <laughs> just vibing. <laughs> Rock for files. Just vibing. Just vibing. Uh, again, it's just like a wonderful character to mm-hmm. to have central stage. They had uh, pretty good chemistry together. Lots of good scenes with um, Rocky being Rocky. One thing I, I really thought was great was that he refers to Jim as a world famous PI in the like, yes. first thing. He's like a world famous cop and a world famous PI. So A, him acknowledging Jim's profession and being positive about it yes. uh, is great. And then later he's so disappointed that it's Jim's fault, obviously, that uh, yes. Frank goes to jail for one night. Uh, he serves him a fish head in his fish stew. <laughs> that malicious fish stew. Mm-hmm. It is a malicious fish stew. I do. I do also like the uh, Rockford suspicious of it right away, where he's mm-hmm. like, before he even sees the fish head, he goes, "What recipe are you using?" <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's good. But uh, Jim ends up getting paid, or at least breaking even. I think it's implied that he basically breaks even, right? He gets paid for the initial babysitting job. Right, yeah. And then he gets the 25 grand, which is about four to five years worth of uh, work that he lost because Boston casualty won't won't hire him again. Now for the real real detective work is to see if he ends up working for a Boston casualty for... In the rest of the right. show, because <laughs> we'll see if that continuity is kept or not. Yeah, we haven't finished all of the '90s uh, movies. Maybe no, there's a, a a reconciliation somewhere Maybe. in the later films. Um, all right, but I think that pretty much uh, covers it. Gets yeah. us, yeah, gets us to the launch of uh, the 200 a day toy line with our <laughs> rubber rubber chili and a uh, little counting bank <laughs> that you can put your your coins into. <laughs> your crumpled up bills from inside. Maybe not that pocket. Maybe not. Oh, that there it is. There it is. Keep the change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about a good, clean bust with sequel rights? Uh, it was a good, clean bust, and I'm sure someone cornered those sequel rights. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of sequels, we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. Boing, boing.
James. Jim, 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 Jim. <laughs> oh, just the vibes. <laughs>